Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. Well, I'm glad that, glad you're here. Uh, this past week, uh, I know there have been several people in, in church that have been not feeling well. I was one of those. I was one of those that uh, if, if you, maybe you, you were like me, man, you enjoy starting a new year because you enjoy man, laying out goals and, and you're excited about new opportunities. Well, I was that guy that was entering uh, you know, January 1st, this was even more special because it was a new decade with a bunch of goals and looking forward to diving into some new initiatives. And instead of being able to dive into those on January 1st, I think I, over the past two weeks, set the record for most days not combing his hair because he was sick in bed, uh, most medicine consumed, uh, most other things I won't tell you about because it would gross you out. But, but that's been my, my first couple weeks. And, and uh, maybe you have experienced that, hopefully not this past few weeks, but I know several people in our, in our gathering have been not feeling well. Uh, but for me, it was a little bit frustrating because I, I'm one of those people that will get sick, like really sick, maybe like once every decade. And so I guess I was starting the decade off, go ahead and get it knocked out of the way. Uh, but I was a little bit frustrated, like, man, why am I, I cannot get over this. And then, and I was telling some people uh, a few days ago about this, then I remembered the word I picked for the year was rest. And it was like, why did I pick that word? Because God's like, let me help you start the year with just resting. Uh, and so that's where I found myself. I found myself frustrated, but then saying, okay, this may, maybe this is a gift from God. And so I want to enjoy this time. But, but there was this side of me that's like, man, I would like to get started on some things. And you know this, man, you can't control when you're sick or when you're not. Uh, if we could, we would. But you probably, like me, there's probably been times in your life where you have resisted doing something that was good, resisted doing something that was right, resisted doing something that was uh, maybe something that was a next step for you or something that was going to be healthy for you, and you didn't resist it because you didn't feel good, you didn't have that excuse, you resisted it because maybe you were fearful uh, you resisted it because it might be pushing you out of your comfort zone. Uh, you resisted it for another reason besides not feeling well. And, and I found myself over the years doing the same thing. And, and so maybe you can relate with that. Uh, I, I'm guessing that, and I, I wrote this here in my notes, I'm guessing I'm not the only one that at times has stopped pursuing things that are best because they were uncomfortable. Have you ever done that? Where you knew something that was ahead of you, man, this is the thing that I should move into, this is the thing that is best, but I find myself resisting it because it's definitely not the most comfortable. 
And, and, and sometimes what we find is, and we kind of started a series this past week that, that focused on this, sometimes we give up and kind of set aside and forfeit some of God's greatest rewards for us, some of his biggest blessings for us, because we're not willing to move past what's comfortable into what might not be as comfortable but might be what's best. And so we began the series this past week called Chase the Lion. And the whole theme of this series is that God does have a best for us. But God's best for us isn't always the most comfortable, but it's always what's best. And sometimes it's, it's us that stops just a little short of what God really wants for us because, man, in order to get there, it's going to take me over some things that, man, I'm not really a big fan of. And we started our series this past week, and we started it by talking about a group of guys in the Old Testament. Uh, we, we looked at a group of guys in the Old Testament that were just simply known as David's mighty men. And, and these were not the type of guys that you wanted your daughter to bring home to you. In fact, if your daughter brought these people home from you, you were probably going to hide your valuables that were in your house. Because this is what the scriptures say when they describe David's mighty men to us. Here's what the scriptures say. It says, men who were in trouble, in debt, and discontented. So like not a great description when you think about these guys that, that became David's mighty men. We first hear of them as guys that are in trouble. And that's a pretty broad word. So there's a lot that could go into that. They were in debt. And they were discontented yet, and this is what we talked about last week, yet David takes this group of kind of crazy guys that probably nobody else wanted, people might have even been afraid of, and he takes these guys and he transforms them into guys that were the most loyal, guys that were the most courageous and that became key men in his army and really the most important guys in his whole army. And as, as we looked at it, we, we read through some of the descriptions of these guys. And as you read through the descriptions of some of David's mighty men, you think you're like, is this a comic book that I'm reading through? Because some of the things these guys did were crazy. One guy that we talked about last week that the video was a little bit about was a guy by the name of Benaiah. And here's what it says about him in 2 Samuel 23 that we looked at. On a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Just say, hey, just on one day he was out kind of in the snow. He saw a lion, decided to pick a fight with it, chased it into a, a pit and killed it. And that's just like one of the descriptions of one of the guys. And if you read through them all, like all these guys have these descriptions of them that were, man, like, like I said, like a comic book. And what we looked at this past week was, so what's the secret sauce? Like what took these guys from these guys that were in debt, these guys that were troublemakers, these guys that were discontented, and they, they met up with this guy by the name of David, and David takes these men and he makes them loyal, he, 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 he works with them and they become fierce fighters, they become courageous, they become uh, God, God kind of fears. I mean, what changed with these guys? It wasn't obviously a secret sauce. It wasn't, hey guys, take two of these every day for the next five days and you're going to be different. 
So what was it? What was it that took these guys and made them loyal, courageous, and guys that were willing to move towards what everyone else was afraid to move towards? What was it? And what we saw last week was the most important thing these men learned from their leader, David, was not how to fight, not how to strategize, not anything about war, but what they learned about David that impacted them so deeply and that changed them was they learned what their leader believed about God. And they learned it probably by a few ways. They probably learned it in many ways by watching his life. If you read through the Old Testament at some of the interactions they had with David and some of the things that David did and how they watched his life, they could see, man, this guy fears God, his life, his example. Probably learned it through, through a lot of conversations. He spent a lot of time with these guys. And David seems to be a guy, as you read about him in Scripture, man, that, that he was willing to share his heart. He had a lot on his heart. He wrote a lot. And so they, they learned through conversations. And probably they were also impacted by a lot of those writings. Like if you read through the Psalms, most of the Psalms is written by David. And so you see some of David's deepest thoughts about God. And while he was meeting and training these men, this was times that he was also writing psalms like Psalms 34. And so imagine being around the campfire with David. And, and David has just penned Psalms 34 and, and the conversation. Yeah, it's, we're talking about war and strategy, but David's talking about his trust and belief in God and, and how that must have transformed these men. See, these men begin to see life and its challenges through the same filter that David, their leader, saw things through. And that was through the filter of faith or belief in God. And not just belief in his existence, but belief in his promises. When I uh, was in college, one of the guys that mentored me is actually one of our board members uh, at CityWalk, his name is John Armstrong. Probably outside of my dad was the guy that influenced me more than any other guy. He's still in my life, we'll still talk on a regular basis. He lives in Virginia, uh, works for a college there, but his name is John. He's about 10 years older than me. And uh, John was one of those guys, he was one of those guys that uh, discipleship for him, which I, I think was the right way to disciple, was yeah, there were times we sat across the table and talked about God, but there was a lot of times where we just went and did stuff together, and I learned a lot by doing with him. And one of the things he loved to do was he loved to shoot pistols. And so he, man, he, he loved doing that. He had been in competitions uh, when he was in high school and in college, and so that was just something that he loved doing then. He still does. We still do it once in a while when we're together. And so he, I, I had not grown up doing that, so I remember about 19 years old, uh, he'd take me to ra different ranges in the area, and, and I didn't have anything. I didn't even know you were supposed to wear like anything over your eyes, didn't know that guns were loud, that you should probably wear something over your ears. So he had all that stuff for me. He's like, all right, here, buddy, put these on, and here, put these kind of goggles on. And they, the goggles had like a yellow tint to it, and he showed me how to hold the gun, and, and we did that on a regular basis. And, and, and if you've ever shot pistols, you know that uh, there are a couple things that are really important you have outside of your gun. You, you do need something to protect your ears, 
because they're extremely loud. And if you're at an indoor range, it gets really loud really fast. But the second thing you need is you need eye protection. If you've ever had one of those shells that are hot hit you in the face, it doesn't go real well. Uh, and, and so I, I wore this eye protection, and most of the time, the goggles that we had, they had this, they all had like a yellow tint to it. I don't know if that allows you to see things sharper, but I remember you, you would take these goggles and you would put them on, and everybody looked yellow. Like everybody, everything looked yellow. Didn't matter what you looked at, you were going to see it through that filter, and so everything you saw, you saw through that yellow tint, whether you liked it or not. And before you knew it, you didn't even think about it. Like you, you, you forgot that you had goggles on. You forgot that everything didn't have a yellow tint in real life. It's just how you saw things when you were wearing those. And, and what David did for these men and what David did in his own life was David had a filter that he saw all of life through. And, and the filter that he saw all of life through was his faith and belief in God. And it wasn't just his faith and belief that God existed, but it was his faith and belief, and he wrote about it in Psalms 34, that God is with me, that God can be trusted, that God cares deeply, that God is good. And, and whether you know this about yourself or not, and maybe you don't think of yourself this way, but every single one of us at some level is a person of faith. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you grew up in church or not, whether you look at yourself as a person of faith, every single one of us sees life through a filter of faith, and it affects everything we do. See, for some, the materialistic person, they see through their faith and possessions, and that's what they see. The, the humanist puts faith in themselves. The religious person puts faith in their good works. The philosopher puts faith in their own ideas. The Jesus follower puts their faith in who Jesus is and what he said. And, and you know this whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. The object of your faith has a lot to do with a lot of things in your life. And the object of your faith will determine the direction of your life in many ways. It will determine the impact of your life in many ways. It will determine your willingness to step out of your comfort zone. Based on what you put your faith in will determine where you're willing to step and how far you're willing to go. And whether we like it or not, it's just the way it is. And these guys that that, that, that David trained and these guys that were around David, these were guys, and the scriptures are full of people like this, who were seemingly ordinary people who saw life through a filter of their belief and their faith in God, and that belief and faith in God moved them to do things that in many cases they were ridiculed for in their day, it pushed them out of their comfort zone, but they did things that we are now reading about thousands of years later, and they didn't know how it was going to turn out when they were doing them. They just saw life through a filter of their faith and belief in God, and it pressed them to do something that was probably uncomfortable that other people wouldn't even understand. And there's what's interesting, there's a chapter in the Bible, and I asked you to read it last week. If you were here, it's Hebrews chapter 11. 
And Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that talks a lot about this belief or faith in God. It talks about what it is, but then it also talks about countless different examples of people, none of them perfect, that lived in the Old Testament that were people that saw life through a filter of their faith and belief in God, and it pressed them to obey God in different ways. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, if you have your your Bible, you can look at it or it'll be up on the screen. It starts uh, in verse 1, it says this. It says... Now faith, or belief in God, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things not seen. Let me read that to you again. This is how the, this chapter starts in Hebrews. It, it starts, now faith is the assurance, another word for assurance would be confidence of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things not seen. See, that first word I said, it it means, uh, assurance means confidence. Some of you are builders. Uh, Some of you build houses. Some of you build different things. Some of you have been a part of construction over the years. This, when we talk about the word assurance, it would be the same word you would use when you're talking about a foundation to a house. It's saying this, this faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is what a foundation is to a house. That's what this is to a person's life. It's, it's the confidence or the assurance. See, hope in the Bible, and it talks about hope, and we talked about this before. Hope in the Bible is different from hope how we talk about hope. Like when we talk about hope, you might say, hey, I hope we go to In-N-Out for lunch. And so for you, that might mean, you know what, I'd like to go to In-N-Out, but I have several people in my family that are going to have an opinion too. So I hope we end up there, but, you know, I'm not going to like hold my breath. Where hope in the Bible is, hey, I hope we go to In-N-Out, it's, hey, we're going to In-N-Out and I'm excited about it. That, that's what hope in the Bible is. And so when it talks about faith and hope, it, it's not talking about, oh, I hope this is going to be true, or faith in something that, eh, hope's good, or hope's really out there. No, faith in the Bible, what it's talking about, what, what these people in the Old Testament were all about, what allowed them to move towards things that were out, uncomfortable when other people wouldn't, was not, oh, I hope this is all going to work out. It was I deeply believe it and am confident in this, therefore I move. Charles Ryrie, he said it this way, he says, Faith gives reality and proof of things unseen, treating them as if they were already objects of sight rather than hope. So that's what we're talking about. And and, and verse 2, it goes on, it says this, it, it begins to mention the people that it talks about. It says this, For by it, the the faith, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. For by their faith, they received approval from God. That's what this means. And so the the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you you know what was so special about these people that I'm going to tell you about? It's not that they were perfect people. It's not that they had everything all together. In, In fact, a lot of them didn't have a lot together, and a lot of them made huge monumental mistakes. But here's why God 
was excited about them, and here's why they gained God's approval. It was because of their belief in God, their faith in God, because they saw life through the filter of their faith in God, and that's what moved them to do things other people wouldn't do or would have been afraid of. It goes on and it says this in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. See, our faith gives us a framework to look at every aspect of life through, and it allows us to really understand how God works. Here's what I mean. So were you there when the world was created? Anybody like, yeah, I remember that. That was just, just like yesterday. No, none of us were there. So you believe the world was created in some way. I, I believe God created the world, but you believe something. You weren't there. Neither was I. So you, you believe based on a framework. And, and, and here's what he, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, these people that have gained God's approval for their faith, for their belief in me, that faith and belief in me created a framework for them to see everything else in life through. So though they weren't at creation, because of what they believed about God, it created a framework for them to see that God created the earth. And so you might be thinking, so are you saying like this faith in Jesus is like this blind faith, you just kind of believe it? No. In fact, the Old Testament people that it's about to talk about, none of them believe God just blindly. That's not what God asked them to do, and neither did Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't ask people to just blindly follow him. In fact, here's how it worked in the Old Testament. God spoke to someone. He used his words to stir in their heart, and they made a decision. They obeyed. They did what God said, and then they watched God do what he said he was going to do. So the next time God asked them to do something, their faith was bigger, and, and God spoke again, and, and, and then he asked them to do something, and, and, they, and, and they didn't always do it because they wanted to, and they always, didn't always do it right away. But, but God used those times to build their faith so that when something came up in their life that they weren't used to or was something that was scary, there was a framework of God working and then believing God that made them say, okay, I'm going to believe God in this next thing and move forward. A, a good example, one of the guys in, in Hebrews 11 that it mentions that we've already talked about a little bit is David. And David, whether you grew up in church or not, the, the thing David's known for worldwide, whether you grew up in church, if you know anything about David, you know, I didn't he like kill a giant when he was a kid or something? Isn't there like something about that? Well, that's exactly, yeah. But David, when he went to King Saul to kill, to talk about, you know, I'll fight Goliath, he didn't go to King Saul to fight Goliath because he was like a professional giant killer. Like, hey, man, I've been to school for this, killed seven or eight already. I'm really good at this. I've got a couple gold medals back at the house for doing this. So, yeah, just let me do it. No, that's not why David went. See, David went because he saw a need. God was stirring in his heart. He had never killed a giant before. But when he went to Saul the king, here's what he did say. But I did kill a bear once. 
I remember when God protected me from the bear in the field and he helped me kill the bear. And Oh, there was a lion too. I remember when I had to kill a lion when the lion was getting my dad's sheep. I remember how God took care of me then. And so, yeah, I've never killed a giant. Don't really know how that's all going to play out. But, but I remember how God was faithful here. And I remember how God was faithful here. And so, yeah, this thing out here that I've never done before, yeah, I'll move towards that because I believe God and it's given me a framework to move towards the unknown. And that's, that's what David did. And that's what the Old Testament writers did. It wasn't a, hey, believe God because you just should believe God. No, God did things that grew people's belief and he gra- they grappled with belief sometimes and that's, that's what we're talking about. But then let's look at the New Testament. Here, here comes Jesus on the scene, God in the flesh. Jesus comes to earth. He lives for 33 years. We have historical documentation that this Jesus guy really lived. And we have a lot of documentation about the last three years of his life. And we know this, that during his his last three years of his life, that several times he said, hey, going to die, going to rise again. The people he was talking to didn't get it. But it's documented. Hey, guys, this is what's coming. Here's what's coming. Here's what's going to happen. He told them it. Then, then guess what happened? He, he died. At the age of 33, he was killed by the Romans. Three days later, people went to the grave where they had buried his body, and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He rose from the grave, and there's now documentation of people that saw him after he was alive. Not one, but over 500. And so when we talk about believing God, we're not talking about, hey, just this huge leap of faith that has no foundation to it, no Jesus said this, Jesus did this, it's documented, and so now because of that, we have a framework to believe other things. Because you know what? Like I said earlier, I wasn't there when the world was created, and so you know why I believe what I believe about creation? Because Jesus believed that. And it because of the things that he did do that he said he was going to do, because he did rise from the grave, it gives me a framework to see things that maybe are harder to understand or things that I don't have all the facts for. It gives me a framework to know what to believe about those things. Creation. Marriage. I, I'm not a like professional at being married. So, so what, what, how do I know how to be married? How do I know what God wants? Do I just make that up? Or is there, is there like somebody, some other guru I go to? No. You know why I believe what I believe about marriage? You know why I believe what I believe about being a husband? It's because I look through the framework of my belief in Jesus and I see what Jesus said and I see what those who saw him alive wrote about marriage. And so that's why I believe what I believe about marriage. What about money? Well, well, should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? How should I do it? Well, it doesn't say specifically about this or that. Well, let's look through the framework of the things we know for sure. And that's why we believe what we believe about money, about the future, about goals, about prayer. I mean, you just fill in the blank. And what's awesome is the writer of Hebrews gives us, and we're going to next week look at several of the characters, a list of different people that, again, weren't perfect people, but they, 
had a filter of belief and their filter was their faith and belief in God. And because they believed God, it then gave them a framework to see all of the rest of life through. And whether we like it or not, every one of us has a filter and a framework that we see life through and then that we make decisions about things in life that we're not sure of through. And what's awesome is it gives us some of these just real-life examples. Specifically, I've mentioned David several times. I mean, David, I love David because a lot of reasons, but we don't have to wonder what he really believed because he wrote so much. And so as you, you look through David's life and you wonder, why did David do what he did? You can look back and say, oh, here's why. Here's what he really believed. We, we shared some of this last week, but look at some of the things David believed. Psalms 34, 8. It says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know when he wrote that? When he was running for his life, hiding in a cave. Like, oh, that gives it a little perspective. That David, this is what David, this is the filter that he saw God through. That God is good even when I'm literally running for my life. Psalms 51, after David has literally committed adultery and murdered somebody. You think, man, if there's ever a time you're going to like take your filter off and like I'm going to change this one out for something else, it would be when you've made these two monumental mistakes. And look what David says. He says in Psalms 51, it tells you what he believed about God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalms 119, David says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It gives you a picture. Okay, why did David do what he did? Why did he live the way he lived? Why were these men that he trained and, and influenced so much, why were they willing to do what they were willing to do? What did they believe? What was in the DNA of what they believed? Psalms 139. And this was so practical to David because he, man, he had to do some hiding. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Look at verse 12. This is a craziness. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The most scary place David ever was in his life. In the darkest place he was, he says, you know what? Here's what I believe about God. Even in my darkest place, my God sees clearly because it's a light to him. 
And David, this is what David believed. This is what created that filter that he saw all of life through. See, David loved God's word. He had watched God work in his life, and his belief in God was really the catalyst that really pressed him to move towards things that other people would move away from. And so here's my question, and I want you to really think about this question because there's like a a churchy answer that'll come to your mind right away, but I don't want you to think of that. I want you to think, what's the real answer in your life? The question is this, what do you have faith in? Like, like, what's the filter of faith that you see life through? There's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of different options in life. There's a lot of things that people see life through, a lot of things they put their faith in that make them okay, at least make them feel okay. See, we, we all have something, and really whatever we, we, that is for us, it's really how the framework that, that we see everything else through. And, and so what is it for you? What, what do you have faith in? What do you see? What, if, if you had to put a name on the, the goggles that you see all of life through, what would the name be? And, and then the second question, is it working? Like, is the way you see life, the thing you put your faith in, is that working out well? Are you fulfilled? Like, do you have confidence amid challenges? Not, not that there's never challenges, there's a lot of challenges. But is there a quiet confidence that comes with those challenges because of what you put your faith in? Do you find yourself moving toward health even if it takes you out of your comfort zone? Or do you find yourself, when it's starting to take you out of your comfort zone, because of what you put your faith in, you find yourself backing away quick? Is your life a cycle of big talk and little change? Or, oh, this is going to change, or I'm going to do this, or move here, and but then you, when it push comes to shove, and because of what you really put your faith in, you find yourself, you kind of retreat, and, and you want to get comfortable again. See, what might life look like if your filter was your faith in Jesus? Not just his existence, not just, yeah, he was a real person, but what if, what if the filter that you saw life through was your belief in Jesus his teaching, his example, the teaching of those who saw him alive. What if that was the filter that whether you liked what you saw through that filter or not, you said, you know what, this is the filter I'm going to see life through. And even when it doesn't feel comfortable or even when uh, I see something that I don't really want to see, I'm going to still look through that filter because I know it's what's right. You, you might be like, you know what, I've tried that. I've done the, I've tried the Jesus thing. I've, I've done the, you know, try to see things his way and try to obey his way. And it just honestly was a little too hard. I wrote this in my notes. Jesus never promised easy. He promised victory. And if somebody lied to you and told you it was supposed to be easy, I'm sorry. I apologize. Because it was never supposed to be easy. And if somebody told you that, they didn't read the New Testament or they left large portions of it out. Because if you read about the people that followed Jesus closest in the New Testament, it was never supposed to be easy. They didn't ever want, they never expected it to be. 
But it was always about victory. It was always about this is the best way, not always the easiest way. And because of what they believed about God, they were willing to move towards things everyone else would run away from. And you just read about that all throughout the scriptures. Honestly, on the surface, putting your faith in something else might look a little bit more manageable and a little easier. Because, like I said, it's, it's not necessarily going to be the easiest road if you put your faith and really your belief in Jesus. But here's, here's what you need to know. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. The enemy wants you to think, you know what? This really following Jesus, believing his word, believing his example, believing how he treated people is the way I should treat people, really believing that is dangerous to the enemy, and so he doesn't want you to do that. And, and so, as you think about that, I, wanna, I want you to want to end with a couple of few statements, because here's what, what we need to know. Someone whose life is marked by their belief in Jesus is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness because they're willing to run towards what most people run away from. I wrote this in my notes. When others would quit... They run towards the solution even if it's hard. When others are greedy and seek to please people, they move hard towards love and generosity. When others walk in pride and pretend they have it all together, they move towards vulnerability and healing. Someone who is putting their faith in Jesus is not signing up for the easiest road, but they're signing up for the road that is best, that's most impactful. And, and, and here's what's interesting. You can be a follower of Jesus. You can have your sins forgiven, a home in heaven and all that. And you can come through a day and say, you know what? Those, that filter is not a convenient filter for me to look through today. And so I'm going to set that filter down and put another filter on that's a little easier and a little bit more palatable for my day. And if we're honest, we've all done that. Maybe this week at some point. And so here's, here's where I'm going to make a real shameless plug, but it's not really shameless. Like we do city groups not because we want to go out another night of our week. Here's why we do city groups. We do city groups because we need each other, because I need somebody to look at me and say, hey, Chris, put the filter back on. You're not seeing that correctly. I, I need some people that will come alongside my family and encourage my family in their walk with Jesus because it's not the easiest road. And if you're the type of person that's like, hey, you know what, I'm all in for following Jesus this year. I'm going to see everything through the filter, and you know, no matter what, I'm going to do what he wants. It's great to have a lot of enthusiasm, but if that's all you have, good luck. It'll be a good maybe one-week run. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to be in a group. Whether it's at this church or at another church, we need each other. We need influence from each other. We need prayer from each other. We need to, I need to hear what God's teaching you through Scripture, and you need to hear what God's teaching me through Scripture. That's how we grow. That's how we have victory. That's why we do city groups. And so here's what I want you to pray about as we close, because this, the, the, the whole theme of this series 
is we want to be a, a group of people as a gathering, but we also want to be families and individuals that run towards God's best for us, even when it's not always the most comfortable thing. And, and, and here's what, we, we need each other to do that because, because it's not the most comfortable thing, we will turn back. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to do two things. The, the first thing is the same thing I asked you to do last week. Would you, over this next week, read through Hebrews 11 at least one time? Just on your own. Just read through Hebrews 11 one time. We're going to work through that a little bit more next week. We're going to look through at some of those characters and, and continue to kind of put flesh on this idea that we've been talking about. But then here's the second thing. Would you ask God this question? How do you want me to be involved in community this year? Would you, would you ask God that? And, and here's what you need to know. You don't need to know if he wants you to because I can already tell you he does. And it might not be at this church, but I promise you he does not want you to walk through life alone. I can guarantee you that. And so would you ask God that simple question? Like, what does it look like for me this year? How do you want me to be involved in community this year? And here's what we need to remember. Community's not always for me. Because sometimes that's how we think, well, I don't really need this, or I'll be all right. But, but here's what we need to know. You need to help somebody else. Your influence, your testimony, your prayer, your encouragement might be the catalyst to somebody else having an awesome year. But sometimes we think, you know, I'm not going to sign up because for me, I think I'm okay. Well, God might be saying, you know what, good for you, but there's other people that don't have it all together like you, and so maybe you should get in a group so you can encourage them. And so let's not make this thing all about us. Let's make this about each other. Let's make this about the kingdom, and let's get connected in community because that's how a year from now we're going to look back and say, hey, we moved to things as individuals and as, as a gathering that we would have been afraid to move into by ourselves, but we moved together and God did things that we cannot imagine and would have never thought could happen. Because that's what Jesus does when his people step out in faith and believe him. And so let's be that. Dear God, I thank you for your word and just the uh, opportunity to just again look at some people in the scriptures that weren't perfect, didn't have it all together, never claimed to have it all together, but God, they were people that you spoke to, and God, you, your word impacted them in such a way that they were willing to step out and do things that were uncomfortable. They didn't always do them perfectly. But you didn't ask them to do them perfectly. You just asked them to obey. And God, I pray for each of us. I pray that we would be individuals and also a gathering that, that knows that, man, we, God, you're not asking us to be perfect. You're not asking us to have it all together. But you are asking us to believe you. And so, God, I pray that we would be a group of people who see our day, our week, our life, through the filter of our deep belief in who you are, what you came to do, and what you promised us. In Jesus' name, amen.